Yeah, hold that, please. Level five, thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to attend the Biparsal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to attend the Channelized Bing Bingus at the Biparsal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com. 18 plus be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Hello and welcome to the Game Day podcast from TalkSport, the ultimate review of all the Premier League action from the weekend. With me, Sam Matterface, TalkSport's football correspondent, Alex Crook, and TalkSport broadcaster, Kwaku Afari. Uh, Liverpool beat Manchester City to rein in the champions and give Arsenal a bit of breathing space at the top of the Premier League. Kepa keeps Chelsea in the game at Villa as the winds mount up for Graham Potter. And Saturday is nominated as the most forgettable day in Premier League history, but we will still give it due attention on the Game Day podcast from TalkSport. Leeds United nil, Arsenal one. Fourth goal of the week for Mikhail Saka, and it came after a horrendous error from Rodrigo. An absolute disaster from a Leeds point of view, giving away possession, but Saka's made them pay. The leaders lead at Ellen Road. Free kick 25 yards out, and Mount with his right foot, a curling effort into the top right. Beautiful strike, and it's now Villa nil, Chelsea 2. Beckham Rice just outside the penalty area. Little 1 2, casual 1 2 with Ben Rama onto his right foot, and he has stroked it. He has caressed it around the defender from the edge of the box beyond Gavin Bazoon, who had no chance. Doesn't score enough goals. He's just scored an absolute banger here. Southampton won, West Ham won. I don't think anybody deserved to win the game today. I've got to be completely honest with you, and that's the way it stood. Manchester United nil, Newcastle United nil. Liverpool won, Manchester City nil. Salah superbly spun Cancelo and then went through one-on-one with Edison and managed to convert into the bottom corner. Anthony Taylor stopped the game and he showed Jurgen Klopp a straight red card, so he's been sent from the dugout. Full-time at Anfield. You can hear how much it means to the Liverpool fans. Liverpool won, Manchester City nil. Okay, so Saturday was a little bit stodgy, but Sunday was scintillating. Uh, Crook famously said last week that he was absolutely convinced that Manchester United would finish above Liverpool. And I feel like in the absence of Darren Lewis, who's not with us this morning, that it's important for me to play the Liverpool card here. Um, How are you feeling about that call now, fella? Um, Not as confident. I expected Liverpool not to beat Manchester City, so that was a bit of a... A spanner in the works. But listen, United are still a work in progress. It's, it's going to take a bit of time. And I don't think one victory necessarily means that Liverpool are back to their best. Let's see if they can back it up. That wasn't the question. The question was, how do you feel about your call? Are you are you sweating nervously? Are you going to backtrack famously like you do within 20, 30 seconds? No, I'll stick with my call. Let's see how Liverpool uh, get on in the next few weeks. <laughs> okay, Kweku, how are you? Um, you? Get involved when you like, by the way. You can ignore him. He's sore. He Almost as sore as Kepa's hands, actually. I, know, I kind of feel for Cricky because it's always tough for Man United fans when Liverpool play against City, having to root for your City rivals to to beat Liverpool. Um, so yeah, I do I do feel for you. I did feel for you the other day, Cricky, because because rooting for Man City must not be pleasant. But yeah, um, good result for Chelsea. Obviously, big Chelsea fan, uh, and it's onwards and upwards for uh, for Graham Potter at Chelsea. It certainly is. Right, we'll start with Liverpool against the Manchester City. Slow start to the game, but it burst into life. I quite enjoyed, Crook, the crescendo that led to Klopp being sent off towards the end, the atmosphere electric uh, towards the finale of the game. The goal is a little bit basic. It comes from a a City free kick. The defending's really poor from Cancelo. And without wanting to pick on you again, is he still their player of the year in reference to Thursday's pod? Do you know what? I I thought that as soon as I saw the mistake. It was uncharacteristic though, wasn't it? He just got too tight. Brilliant turn from Salah. And having missed the first chance from a very similar situation. Darren Ambrose sat next to me on the boot room and said, he's got to dink this one, he's got to dink it. And he did, and it was an excellent finish and uh, really picking up where he left off against Rangers. But I don't think we should make light of the, of the Jurgen Klopp sending off. And, and here's the reason why, 
Uh, we've covered it a lot on TalkSport, the, the, the abuse and the insults and the physical attacks that referees at grassroots level have had to suffer. This was a weekend when uh, youth football in Merseyside was cancelled um, as, as a protest against those assaults on officials. And I don't think it's befitting for a manager of the stature of Jurgen Klopp to be screaming in the face of an assistant referee. And I, I think he let himself down. Yeah, um, I totally concur with that. I think it's a, a real shame that the indiscipline that I think sort of has started to creep into the uh, technical areas has started to become almost part of the theatre. The managers feel as if they've got to get involved. They've got to make themselves look as if they're protesting to the fans. They're playing to the gallery almost. You know, Arteta does it quite a lot. Jesse Marsh does it a lot. Klopp's doing it. Guardiola uh, was definitely playing to the gallery after the Haaland goal was was disallowed. But it is a a, a massive, massive win. Did Liverpool deserve it, Quaker? And, and how good is it for the Premier League as a whole that Manchester City have been finally beaten? Yeah, I think it was um, a well-deserved win for Liverpool. I was uh, on record saying that I thought they were going to get a hiding. And when I saw the starting lineup. It was perplexing that these teams were on the same level last season. Obviously, Man City win the title on the final day. If you just looked at the starting lineups, but Liverpool got their tactics perfect on the night. Um, and obviously, Anfield's a different prospect under the lights as well. Um, I know it's a bit of a cliche, but the, the, the tension was palpable in the atmosphere. You just felt it. And I can tell the City felt it as well. Um, like you say, Pep was getting engaged with the fans. And, and obviously, Klopp, he's an emotional manager and it wasn't necessarily... Um, right for him to to berate the officials like that. But you could tell the atmosphere, you could tell what it meant to Liverpool as well. Um, so I think it was more good Liverpool than bad City. But City didn't get their tactics right. And like you said, the defending for the Salah goal, goal was unforgivable. I don't engage in what about but if that was Trent Alexander-Arnold who made that mistake, it'd be all over the back pages. And despite the fact that, that Cancelo has been very, very good going forward, that was unacceptable defending. Yeah, it was poor defending from Cancelo, but it's a rare blip, whereas Trent Alexander-Arnold has made several over the course of the season, which is why, probably, even if he was in good enough shape to be a part of the matchday squad yesterday, they decided to play Milner at right back and maybe just be a little bit more conservative yesterday, which probably played into their hands. How important is it for Salah to strike in a game as big as that and be the 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 the, the, the victory clincher in such a huge match, bearing in mind the six months that he's had. I think it's huge uh, because there has been uh, a criticism levelled at Salah even when he was at his pomp that he's a bit of a flat track bully. He doesn't necessarily come up with the goods in the biggest games. So I think for him to be the match winner is massive for his season. And actually, you're right, he's not been his best for the past six months, but he has still been coming up with gold contributions in terms of assists and that hat-trick that he got in the midweek in the Champions League. And I expect Salah now uh, to go on a decent run. And, and actually, you look at the World Cup that's coming up, we wonder how that's going to affect certain players' form. Obviously, he was devastated that Egypt didn't qualify. But I think long-term for Liverpool, that will probably be a good thing because when everybody else is coming back tired uh, after their international exploits, he's got a few weeks just to recharge and improve his match sharpness. I think he'll have a really good second half of the season. Are we over-egging this whole World Cup thing? You know, You're only going to be tired if you've actually gone over there and played a load of games. I mean... You know, the way things are going at the moment, England are only going to be there for about a week and a half. So they might all get they might all get a rather nice rest on the back of it. Um, but Salah and Haaland, both of them not going to the World Cup. So they'll be well refreshed and zen by the time uh, that Boxing Day comes around. Um, look, Robertson returning is really important for them because he had a great chance actually to score in the first half. Um, I do think that this game needed to go in Liverpool's direction for the league, really. that Arsenal obviously have been playing very, very well. I don't expect them to win the league, but they're in a great position to take control of it right now. But it is a it is a pivotal moment for Manchester City because all of a sudden, and for the rest of the league, really, but all of a sudden they're sort of, they are beatable. They're not, they aren't invincible, which is key if we're going to have a competitive Premier League, Quaker. Definitely. Um, and Man City have looked fallible this season. We saw it against Copenhagen midweek, saw it against Newcastle, that thrilling 3 all draw. And Aston Villa, a team who've been struggling, managed to get a draw against them. So they're, they are, they have been fallible this season. They're not these invincible um, giants that people made them out to be. They're, they have got some issues. And I think you saw them last night in regards to the, their defensively, sometimes they can be got at. And I think that if you set yourself up or you set your team up like Jürgen Klopp did with Liverpool, 
then there are there are positions to exploit the City team. And like you said, it was good for the league because they are the clear favourites. They have got the best team. They've got the best squad. They've got the best manager, in my opinion. So for Liverpool to get a result at Anfield in a game that's full of drama, full of tension and full of quality was important for the Premier League because I think it gives everybody else a, a fighting chance in terms of the title race. Newcastle sort of set the blueprint, didn't they? If you attack Manchester City, you can cause them problems. So they, they, we know that there are vulnerabilities there. Um, let's talk about Anthony Taylor. Because he let quite a lot go during the game. A lot of people think that's good. Some people complaining about it. I imagine if you're a Liverpool fan and you weren't happy about one or two of the tackles or the tackle that led to a big chance in the first half, you'd be upset about that. If you're a Manchester City fan, you're still annoyed about the fact that Haaland uh, was penalised for a foul in the build-up to the Foden goal. So that one didn't count. Um, how did how did we feel about that, Crook? No, I'm not against that. Uh, I think that's the right way to referee these, these big juggernaut clashes. But... <laughs> Listen, it was a bad weekend for officiating. We're going to come on to it in the individual games. I actually think probably it was the right call to disallow the Manchester City goal. I think there was enough contact uh, between Haaland and the Liverpool player for that to be ruled out for a foul. But you can actually take it back a bit further. It should have been a corner at the other end. It was a magnificent save from Edison to deny Salah. They get a goal kick, Manchester City, and they go straight up the other end and put the ball in the back of the net. So... I don't really think when you take those two things into account, the City fans and Pep Guardiola can complain too much. You can't, you can't, you can't reinvent the laws of the game again like you wanted to do last week over handball. I'm talking morally. Mo- morally, it, it, the goal wasn't warranted. A, for the foul, and B, because it should have been a corner at the, at the other end anyway. So, yeah, I think that's sour grapes from Man City. I think Liverpool probably deserved to win the game. Okay, well, congratulations to Liverpool. They did win the game. Manchester City just nuked a little bit for a week. I'm sure they'll come roaring back to life in midweek. Leeds uh, were beaten by Arsenal, but you know, for much of that game, they were the better team and created some great chances. The XG is quite fascinating, really. Um, 2.7 to Leeds, 0.8 to Arsenal. I mean, that just sort of tells you how many chances that Liverpool have. But double delight for Arsenal because they stretched their lead at the top of the table to four points. The invincible tag lives on for another season, so no one's taking that this year. And they weren't at their best, but is that a sign of a good team that they've come away from Ellen Road with three points, Quaker? Yeah, it was a hostile atmosphere as well. And it's the place that big teams struggle. Um, being a Chelsea fan, I saw I saw the performance we put out at Ellen Road and it wasn't impressive. So for Arsenal to get that result in those circumstances where it was a game for being completely honest, at least probably deserved to get something out of at least a point. Um, and decisions also went Arsenal's way as well. Um, it's huge for Mikel Arteta and this Arsenal team who go clear at the top of the Premier League table. I know it feels like we're in the beginning of the season, but we are a quarter of the way through now. Yeah. And this is this is the real Arsenal. Um, and there was a stat that the last four teams to win nine out of the first 10 games will have gone on to win the Premier League title. Um, and I know that Arsenal fans want to maybe keep the expectations a little bit lower than other fans of other teams, but Arsenal are well and truly in this title race. And if they can continue this form and what has been a difficult October for them already, then there's no reason why when the World Cup rolls around, they shouldn't be in the, the preeminent position to go on and win this title. Obviously, like we said, Man City are, are the clear favourites, but Arsenal have got all the tools, they've got the right manager, um, and they've got the players who've got the belief now. So fair play to Arsenal. Was, uh, I think they got very lucky in terms of some of the decisions, but it's a big, big away win for them. Lucky? Lucky? I mean, it's absolutely unbelievable some of the stuff that <laughs> happened in this game. Good job they got VAR working. Um, first of all, it was delayed for about 20 minutes because there was a power surge and a TV truck which took out the big screen and then obviously took out VAR as well. And how dare we even think about continuing without VAR nowadays? So we had to not rely on the whistle cannot be the sole arbiter of the game. There needs to be lots of television screens in order to make sure that we're getting those decisions absolutely wrong. Um, and um, as a result, they did need it to give Bamford a penalty, which he then missed, uh, to give Gabriel a red card in the final minute, which was then overturned. Um, it was all just madness, really. And it sort of started with Rodrigo's pass for Saka's first goal. Now, I mean, that was <laughs> I mean, that was up there with Quasi Quartang's statement as the biggest brain fart of the season. Um, I have to take responsibility that, for that, though, because I picked Rodrigo in my fantasy team. <laughs> And, and ever since I've put him into the fantasy team, his form has plummeted. Uh, so uh, any Leeds fans, that's my fault. I'll take responsibility for that. Four goals, four assists in the last seven games from Saka now. Quiet start to the season, but he's burst into life. 
Yeah, and I said on Sunday night on the boot room that he needs to be in the starting lineup for England at the World Cup if he can maintain this form. And it's not just about the goals and assists, actually. I see a young player there still at the relatively fledgling stage of his career who's developed real leadership qualities. And you go back to the the Euros and the players who miss penalties, I think he's definitely had an effect on the form of Marcus Rashford. For Saka, it's gone the other way. And I think that shows just how strong a character that he is, that he's managed to bounce back from that and hit new heights. I think Martin Erdegaard has been a bit of an unsung hero in, in terms of non-Arsenal fans. Arsenal fans know how good he is. I have to admit, I wasn't that convinced by the signing. He's been absolutely terrific as well. And again, has shown those leadership qualities. But you're right, thank heavens that the VAR was working. How the on-field official missed the handball for the Bamford penalty that he put wide is absolutely beyond me. He's in the perfect position. How you don't see that and just give a penalty. And I think this is a problem, by the way. VAR is taking a lot of kicking but I think the on-field referees need to take far more responsibility than they are. He needs to point to the spot. He shouldn't need his power in the television studio telling him that's a penalty. It's clear for everybody to see. What about the Bamford goal that was disallowed, uh, Kwaku, uh, just after half-time? Was there a foul there? Was enough of a foul there to rule out a goal? Bearing in mind what what we've seen let go in other matches over the weekend and the, the high bar that we now put on contact, it's the tiniest leaning into Gabriel. He had his who had his arm round Bamford, actually, just beforehand. He, he he hugged him right across the midriff, and then Bamford shrugged him off. Where was the foul? Was there enough of a foul there to rule out that goal? I don't think so. And that's just that just speaks to, to the luck that Arsenal had on the day. Um, it wasn't. And you can see why Jesse March was apoplectic and these fans were, were up in arms, because I don't think that was enough of a foul. And speaking about Gabriel, I think he's a player that you need to keep an eye on because... He's going to cost Arsenal going forward. He almost cost them um, yesterday. And with the games I've seen, especially in the big games, we saw the mistake in the in the North London derby. We saw it last season when they played against Man City and he got himself yeah. sent off. Um, it's a uh, he's a player that needs to be watched. But again, Leeds going back to the point, Leeds were unlucky with that disallowed goal. And I know that missing a penalty can't be counted as unlucky, but unlucky to not put that away. And like you said, the, the XG reflects what that game was. Saka's goal was almost out of nowhere, and Leeds had multiple chances to get something out of the game in the second half. Arsenal have won nine of their first ten Premier League games of the season. As Kweku said, the last four teams to do that have gone on to win the title. One word answer, please. Will they? Crook? No. Kweku? No. Manchester United nil, Newcastle United nil. Battle for six ends in stalemate. Big headline in uh, sort of page seven or eight of the goals pull out or something like that. Um, Rashford missed two clear chances towards the end of this game where United, I think, missed Christian Eriksen in the heart of their midfield, especially in the first half. They didn't start particularly well. Um, they got better after half time. It wasn't a great game. I was sat there at Old Trafford uh, presenting the Sunday session from there. And um, I was furious afterwards about Rashford missing those chances because everyone, including Crook, was been telling me how great he is now and he's scoring all these wonderful goals. If he was a proper killer, if he was a proper striker that puts those chances away, that is 2-0, finished, done. He rounds the goalkeeper. I was behind it. I can see the angle. The angle is open enough for him to slide that into the goal. And he gives it to Fred, of all people. I mean... <laughs> Rashford from the corner flag's got more chance of putting it in, Crook. I think you've been a bit harsh after the first one. I think oh, the, here the he touch taking around the keeper was a bit heavy. It made the angle difficult. Fred's missed a sitter. Fred's got a score. He's six yards out. It's an open goal and he's put it wide. Uh, I know he's under pressure from the Newcastle defender. The second one is more unforgivable. That's a free header right in front of goal. I think he was trying to be too clever, too precise. Just get it on target and you're very unlucky if you don't score from there. And I guess you can understand why Cristiano Ronaldo reacted so angrily and so frustratedly when he was taken off. Because let's be honest, if that's Ronaldo in that situation, not Marcus Rashford, United win the game 1-0. And I thought it was a negative move from Eric Ten Hag because Newcastle came with a game plan. They came to frustrate. I think they were quite happy with a point. Never really looked like winning the game apart from the the double Joe Linton uh, woodwork incident in the first half. He wouldn't do that again. He tried a thousand times, by the way. Um, But I don't think you needed at that stage of the game, late on two defensive midfielders. He should have taken off Fred. He absolutely the right thing to bring on Rashford and try and stretch that back line and go for broke. I think it's two points dropped for United. Having said that, defensively and with Casemiro midfield, they look so much more solid and at least they're finally being coached properly. 
They did look a little bit more solid, but as you say, it would have been slightly different had Joe Linton um, scored from one of those chances where he hit the crossbar, then hit the the post immediately afterwards. And Trippier caused a few problems with set-piece deliveries into the box. And if they had been slightly more precise, then there would have been more issues for for Manchester United, especially in the first half, actually, because I thought Newcastle were the the better team in that first 45 minutes. Um, VAR at the forefront again. There was an incident involving Jadon Sancho in which on another day, I always sort of, I understand why people don't want to give this as a penalty because Jadon Sancho flings himself into the air like he has been uh, taken out from Rose Z by a sniper, right? Okay, so he, he over-eggs the pudding, but he was hit. He, he did get contact inside the penalty area. And I wonder whether or not his theatrics have ruled out the possibility of him being given the penalty. Um, but Ronaldo's goal from the Newcastle free kick which I thought was taken, could have stood, couldn't it? Quaker? Yeah, yeah. Um, it could have. I think Newcastle were given life with that one. Um, obviously, the referee's at hand is up in the air, so it indicates that he was waiting for it to be kicked. But I think that Ronaldo's being smart. He's being sharp, and he's seen that the defenders knocked it back. Um, and, and you can see the reaction sometimes with these kind of incidents. You look at the players on your opposition team to see what, whether it should have not been given or whether it should have been given. And Nick Pope looked a little bit sheepish. So I feel like that goal could have stood. Obviously, it's Ronaldo being smart and clever. Um, United can maybe have some questions about why it wasn't given. But again, this has not been a great weekend, a great day for referees or VAR. Crook, he taps it into Cher. And then, so Cher taps it to Pope. And then Ronaldo waits, looks, looks, looks. I think the referee's not in control of the situation because he's not looking at what's just happened. He doesn't know that shares tap the ball. What were you thinking at the time? Well, it took me by surprise. I was commentating the game and I wasn't completely sure what was going on either. Um, to were, be were you actually watching the, the screen or were you texting um, or something? No, I was doing it from the studio. And obviously, you know, the, the cameraman maybe wasn't completely focused uh, on the incident. Darren Ambrose, oh, as a blame somebody player, else, uh, was convinced that he had taken the free kick. I think yeah. ultimately only Fabian Share knows the answer to that question. I can understand the argument that he's taken the free kick. I can understand the counter argument that he is just rolling it back to the keeper to make sure it's taken from the proper position. As I say, only Share knows. I think it would have been a difficult one for the referee to, to give because you can't prove it conclusively either way. Are you happy with this week's performance? That's yeah, the key relatively, thing. relatively. Really? Nil nil at home, isn't it? I mean, that's a good result. Newcastle, good side. No, <laughs> yeah. he, he's got no joy in his life. Look, he's just so <laughs> angry about it. He can't even take the banter. He's like, he's, he's, should we talk about Chelsea? Obviously, they've done very, very well. Five in a row now. Uh, mount at the double. Chelsea win a fifth game in a row. Good performance from Villa, actually, especially in the first half. But Gerard. Uh, under pressure still. The Villa fans are not having him at all. First of all, let's talk about uh, Kepper because he did brilliantly in that first 45 minutes. He made one of the saves of the season from uh, Danny Ings. He pulled off several brilliant stops. How has he rebuilt his career? I just believe that when you look at Kepper, and obviously we remember his first season at Chelsea and the incident in the League Cup final with Mauricio Sarri, and then his form kind of tailed off completely off the back of that. And like mm. a Chelsea career was over, but it's patience. And I think patience is the key word. Obviously, Chelsea brought in Mendy. Mendy was incredible in his first season and a half of Chelsea. But again, this maybe maybe slips into a little bit of complacency over the last few months and his form has not been great. When Potter came in, Mendy was injured. Perfect excuse to start Kepa. And Kepa's taken his chance. But I feel like the the, the thing that underlines Kepa's resurgence and redemption arc is patience. He's been happy to wait. Obviously, he was linked to a move away in the summer. He stayed. Uh, we know about the hefty price tag that looms over his head consistently. Um, I don't know if he's ever going to be able to repay that. But if he continues with performances like this and Chelsea continue to roll and he can establish himself as Chelsea's number one, then there is a there is a future at Chelsea for Kepa because he is way more proficient with the ball at his feet than Edouard Mendy. And like we saw yesterday, he's a great shot stopper on his day. Yeah, I, I, I'm absolutely convinced that it's uh, down to the fact that he's settled off the field. Um, it's the birds, it's the, it's the pigeons, it's the what, what is it the finches that he's got, right? Okay, so you know he's a he's a he, he, he's got an aviary and he, he looks after finches. He's, he's like big into to finches, so. 
he's a yeah he's a pigeon fancier it's all to do with that got something else to occupy his mind is that an apology from you to Kepa (laughs) I I I, what are you trying to say (laughs) is I heavily critical of him or something just a touch, just a little bit. Listen, I think Ben Roberts deserves a bit of credit. Actually, the new uh, goalkeeping coach who followed Graham Potter from Brighton, I know what an impact he had down the south, co- south coast in turning Robert Sanchez from a bit of a journeyman into a Premier League number one. I don't think it's a coincidence. And I think you can see that whatever they're doing in training has is, is really restored Kepa's fragile confidence. And I know Graham Potter has come out and said, I've not got a number one. I think he has. And I think at the moment, Kepa is, uh, is justifying that decision. Yep, um, I do feel sorry for uh, Steven Gerrard in a way. 18 attempts to eight on goal in that uh, match. And he came out afterwards and he said, good performance, blah, blah, blah. But the, he, the, the fans aren't having him, are they? They're still a little bit sort of anti-Gerrard. They want him removed. They looked a little bit better, I think, without Coutinho in the team. Obviously, he's just not up to it anymore. I'm sorry, you know, 17 million quid might have been a bargain, but it was a bargain that, that didn't work out. Um, the truth is is that unless they start putting points on the board quickly, they're going to find themselves in relegation trouble because they've actually got some tough fixtures upcoming and they're playing a lot of the top teams or top half teams over the the course of uh, the next few weeks prior to the World Cup. And they are sitting rather precariously above the relegation zone. What does the future hold for him, Brooke? What's his job security situation, do you think? Fragile. Uh, we spoke about it last week. I think at the moment he still has a, a big boardroom ally in Christian Perslow, but the owners uh, are a little bit concerned about the direction of travel. He's coming up for his one-year anniversary. Whether he will make that one-year anniversary, I think is still open to conjecture. I don't think they've really improved under him. The signings, by and large, haven't been great. And, and I think it's difficult, and we'll talk about Ralph Hasenhutl later, when the fans decide that you're not for them, and the atmosphere in the stadium becomes a bit toxic. I think it's difficult for any manager to turn that scenario around. And I think inevitably the owners will start to listen to the vocal because starts as a minority, then becomes a majority. I think he's really up against it, Gerard. Uh, Mason Mount at the double, um, returned to top form since Graham Potter arrived. He was brilliant in the games against AC Milan. He was terrific on Saturday as well. The free kick is outstanding. He takes advantage of a Mings mistake for the first one. Um, but he's integral to Chelsea. Chelsea play just much better when Mason Mount is on top form, Kwaku. Yeah, and I, I really, really rate the way that he's come back or bounced back at the beginning, beginning of the season because it's all been sunshine and rainbows for Mason Mount since he established himself as a Chelsea first-teamer. Is uh, it? And the beginning... Yes, it? it has been in terms of his PR and the terms of the way people talk about him. Always a lot of people give him loads of loads of stick, don't they? Because he was Frank's boy, then he was Gareth's boy. Why is he always in the team? He doesn't do anything. Actually, I've been sitting here almost ploughing a lone furrow at times, saying this is the best player in the Chelsea team. He just put him on in the team sheet. For God's sake, he's brilliant. And then you know you got people texting him. We had a caller who rings up all the time on Talksport saying, "Oh, Matterface loves Mason Mount. He thinks he's the best player. I don't know what he does." Clearly what he does is he scores goals and he makes goals and he creates big chances. He's a brilliant player. He's an incredible player. But what I will say is at the beginning of this season and also the international break, he wasn't Southgate's boy. He wasn't starting for England. So True. the fact that he's he's scored for England and now he's scoring for Chelsea and creating as well, um, I think it just it bodes well for Chelsea. And he's the only player to start every game um, since Alpha player anyway, to start every game since Potter's come in. And he's repaying his manager's faith. Um, Mason Mount is a, is a world-class player or on his way to becoming a world-class player. Um, he does everything for Chelsea. And if he can add those finishing touches to his games in terms of goals and assists, then he's, he's going to have a complete forward or complete hybrid midfielder slash forward because Mason Mount is everything. I might be a bit biased. He... <laughs> would have more assists if people converted the chances he creates for them. He created more big chances than almost anyone in the Premier League last season, but there was no one there to stick them away. His stats would be a lot better if they had a number nine. They do now have one. He scored two goals at the weekend. Um, Chilwell, lucky not to see Red for a tackle, Quaker, quickly. Yeah, yeah, I do. It's very, very rash and Ben Chilwell. I think sometimes Mm. in elements of his game, you're seeing the rust... Um, obviously he was out for a long time last season um, and I've seen a couple of those tackles this season from Ben Chilwell where he's a little bit late um, or a little bit too aggressive um, so yeah I think I'm lucky to not to not be punished more harshly for that but again we see all weekend where referees let decisions go uh, Reese James injury um, eight weeks out now 
He's going to miss the World Cup. I don't think there's much doubt about that. He's not going to be fit and ready for action. You're not going to take a right back that he's not going to make it until at least the quarterfinals. They might not even get to the quarterfinals, England. So uh, how big a blow is it for Chelsea? But also, how costly is it for England? Because they've lost Carl Walker. They've lost Reese James. Arguably, those two are the ones out of all of the fullbacks that were going to play in the starting 11. It's not like they're losing the backup right backs. They're, they're losing the, the right centre half and the right wing back, the first choice one. So, I mean, it's good for Trent Alexander-Arnold because it's likely that he'll definitely get in the squad now. It's good news for Kieran Trippier as well, I think. Um, and if you're talking about England starting right back, if they haven't got uh, James and Walker, as you say, looks very unlikely. I think he's got to be in a knee brace for the next four weeks. So despite what he was saying on social media, it's fanciful, I think, for the notion that James might be fit to play any part in the World Cup. And I think Trippier is is next in line. And I guess we go back to uh, Japan and Korea. Gary Neville injures his metatarsal. Our own Danny Mills gets the call up and has a good tournament. I wonder if Kieran Trippier uh, could be the 2022 version of, of Danny Mills. Kieran Trippier, the new Danny Mills. <laughs> Things he never thought he'd hear. <laughs> or... Poor Kieran Trippier. <laughs> I think Kieran Trippier probably thinks he's got a little bit more quality than Danny Mills. I think Danny Mills probably thinks that as well. But Danny did do a very good job, actually, in that uh, World Cup in Japan and uh, South Korea. Um, Southampton won, West Ham won the other Sunday game. I mean, crikey. When you talk about refereeing errors, when you talk about problems with VAR, it doesn't get much worse than the performance on Sunday by the VAR Simon Hooper and the referee Peter Banks. Walker Peters with the most blatant foul throw you have ever seen in the build-up to Perro's opener for Saints. The referee standing in front of Jared Bowen so that he can't receive the ball, almost blocking him like an NFL defensive lineman. I mean, what on earth is going on here? How was that goal not overturned, Kwaku? Sam, you say you won't see a worse uh, VAR referee performance. I think we did see one, and that was last week, another game involving West Ham versus Fulham, where maybe all three of West Ham's goals could have been chalked off. It was laughable. It was laughable that the goal could have stood, Southampton's goal could have stood, and you saw how angry David Moyes was. He did, he did quite well to restrain himself because, like you say, the referees clearly, clearly blocked off Jared Bowen. I think I'm, I disagree with you slightly. In terms of the foul throw, what 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 like what constitutes as a foul throw? I don't I didn't necessarily see that. I saw the block. You have to have your feet. You have to have your feet off the pitch for a start. Yeah, I think his feet were on the line though. I think they were over the line. <laughs> well, whether that's the case or not, I don't think that's the main talking point from that goal. I think the fact that the referee, no, the referee is off, the problem. Blocked off Jared Bowen and clearly stopped him from making the block. And obviously, um, Southampton got a little bit lucky with the deflection for the goal. But how they've not ruled that goal out is is beyond me. Well, uh, listen, I, we had David Moyes live on the Sunday session yesterday and he said these words, and this is a direct quote. I'm not over-egging it. This is a direct quote. The Moose asked him a question about Declan Rice and England and wrapping him up in cotton wool. And David Moyes, I mean, I didn't see what David Moyes did, but I can imagine he looked at the Moose to say, I don't care about England um, and raised an eyebrow and then just said, I think you should be looking at another decision involving blah, 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 and started pointing towards a Thomas Suchek penalty shout and started going massively into it. And then he just turned around and went to the Moose, live on air. I don't know who's on VAR today in this game, but he should be checked out. And I thought, whoa, that is, that is a big, big statement. I mean, he's probably going to get himself in trouble for saying that, but ultimately... He was furious. And I think he had every right to be crook. Yeah, you can understand his frustration. You know, I mean, the incident with Jared Bowen is no different than if the ball accidentally hits the referee. The rule is that you have to stop play and, and bounce the ball back to whoever was in possession. I think common sense, he should have done the same thing there. He clearly had a big impact in the goal. And, and Moyes is upset because you look at the stats. Was it 25 shots on target, 13 corners, something like that? Bazoon no, not on well Southampton. Their goal led a charm life. West Ham should be winning this game, um, and and they would nine times out of ten. So, yeah, I think he's right to be agitated. And again, it's another example of just rank bad decision making from an official. 
But he was also agitated because they did have 26 attempts on goal and only five of them hit the target. And he also said, you know, he, he sort of had a little bit of a go at Skamaka. You know, he had a lot of opportunities, he said, but he didn't hit the target. And the job is to put the ball in the net, not just shoot at the goal. Um, and obviously he was frustrated and he said he believes in Skamaka, et cetera, et cetera, and who did look quite good actually in the game. But as he says, you have to hit the target. It's all right just kicking the ball towards the goal. If you miss it every time, it's not really that useful. Um, uh, but it was a long overdue uh, goal for Declan Rice, who did hit the target with a brilliant, brilliant effort. That was a really good goal to watch. Uh, Southampton lost four in a row leading into this game. How much time does this buy Ralph Harsenhood or Alex? Well, we'll get the Bournemouth game in midweek, I think. But I do think we're, we're entering uh, win or bust territory now for Ralph Harsenhood. Uh, diligence is being done behind the scenes uh, by Southampton, as any good football club should, in terms of some kind of succession plan. But again, I think if you look at social media, Ralph out was trending after the game. They're aware that he's struggling in the eyes of the Southampton supporters. Um, and this is a difficult trip along the South Coast. Bournemouth unbeaten in six. And I think all of the pressure is on Hasenhutl and on Southampton. He, he ch- shuffled it around a bit yesterday. Maitland-Niles came in and probably had his best game in a Southampton shirt. But they need a lot more. Listen, they spent £70 million in the summer, largely on young players. They didn't sign a striker. And that's a problem because with the greatest respect in the world, is Shea Adams going to get 15 goals in the Premier League this season? Is he even going to get 10? Probably not. James Ward-Prowse is playing badly as well, by the way. If if there weren't 28 places available on the plane for Qatar, I'm not sure that his form warrants an England call-up for the World Cup at the moment. Well, there's not. There's only 26, so he might not make it. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Let's get to Saturday. Hold that, please. Level five. Thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi, nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to Ertz and the Biparsal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to Ertz and the Channelized Bimbingus of the Biparsal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrooks. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18+, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Only once before have Leicester ever had fewer points at this stage of a season. It was 1983, but... Leicester didn't sack their manager. Resch asked me before the game what are traits of teams that are in trouble down the bottom of the league. I'll tell you one, losing possession of the ball and not getting back in shape and having four or five players the wrong side of the ball for too long. And that's something I've seen in the early stages from Leicester in that last attack. Maybe just another dent in the confidence of Leicester City. I think they'll be pleased with a clean sheet, even if their supporters aren't particularly fast. Leicester City nil, Palace nil. There's a play one down, penalty! Mitrovic was hauled to the ground. Slow run up from Mitrovic. Right foot, it sends the keeper the wrong way. It is 2-2. It is game back on at Craven Cottage. It's going to be Brennan Johnson against Jose Sarr. Forest, another defeat on the road. Full time here at Molyneux. It's finished Wolves 1, Nottingham Forest nil. 85 minutes gone, Tottenham 2, Everton nil. This game and this result has been put to bed by Pierre-Emile Hoybjerg. Saturday was one of those days where you turn on match of the day and you think, <laughs> what are they going to choose first here? Um, because it was not a very good day, was it? Wolves won Forest nil. Leicester versus Palace. I went to that game. That's an hour and a half I'll never get back. Uh, Spurs 2, Everton nil. The best game, arguably, was the game down at Craven Cottage, which was Fulham 2, Bournemouth 2. So let's start there. Uh, because everyone's seemingly waiting for Bournemouth to start losing. But another very good result for Gary O'Neill, who's done an excellent job and cannot be ignored in terms of contenders uh, for the permanent role. We've spoke about that a lot, so we don't need to go in that 
into that as well. Since their 9-0 loss to Liverpool, they are the only unbeaten team in the league, Bournemouth, which is an impressive result. Um, the key thing has been moving Billing a little bit higher up the pitch. And I must say, that first goal from Dominic Solanke was a brilliant team goal group. Yeah, and I'll claim a bit of credit for, for Dominic Solanke's goal and assist because I did a big piece for him, one of the papers <laughs> on Saturday what? morning, pointing out his goal-scoring <laughs> record in the Premier League, 5-70 in 70, uh, before Saturday. To be fair, it was in with some Gary O'Neill quotes suggesting there's a lot more to Dominic Solanke's game than just scoring, and he's right. He's become a focal point. He holds the ball up really well. I think in his time away from the Premier League, not only did he add goals, but he became a better all-round number nine. That combination play with Billing has been key to their success this season. So I'm only tongue-in-cheek saying that I motivated so, him by pointing so, so, out. Sorry, so you, you're claiming credit because you wrote an article in a paper, which you basically, <laughs> by the way, have sort of taken yourself out of now. You're no longer a nasty newspaper journalist, you call yourself. Um, so, so, but you, now you are again this weekend. Um, and you've pointed out that he had a bad goal-scoring record. And you think he got that paper, pinned it up on the dressing room uh, wall and decided to... To, to read it, be inspired by it. I thought, I'll prove that Alex Crook wrong. Did you do it under your own name or did you do it under a fake name? <laughs> no, it was under my own name. So yeah, if, if All right, okay, that makes him. a change. Usually Quaker, he does it under a fake name so that no one knows who it is. <laughs> Especially when he's sticking the knife in. But before we bring uh, Quaker in, can we just talk again about VAR? Uh, Bournemouth, very unhappy with the award of a penalty. They, they feel like Alexander Mitrovic initiated the contact. All right, maybe you could say that Jefferson Lerma. On Jefferson Lerma, this is at the it. end, yeah. Um, got suckered into it but at the other end Fredericks has had his arm pulled away he goes down in the box how that's not a spot kick and they're building up a catalogue here Bournemouth it, obviously decisions go for you they go against you there are a lot of VAR calls that have gone against Bournemouth already this season they feel hard done by um, yeah and that's um, also another job that he does as well as being a nasty newspaper journalist an opinionated uh, podcast uh, verbaliser He's also the Bournemouth and Southampton press officer, depending on what day it happens to be. <laughs> um, and he actually texts me on Saturday saying, don't accuse me of being the, uh, the Bournemouth uh, press officer, uh, but they're not happy with that penalty. Um, so, I actually Crookie, think- Crookie, what are you going to do midweek when Bournemouth play against Southampton? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be firm. Depends who wins, Quaker. It depends who wins. Um <laughs> Let's talk about that uh, Fredericks uh, pullback because that was a penalty, wasn't it? It was a penalty. And again, uh, the officials and VAR are not, not covering themselves with glory. Um, but I, yeah, I, I, I want to kind of talk in terms of the Southampton-Bournemouth game or the Bournemouth-Fulham um, Bournemouth game, sorry, is the fact that Fulham's bubble seems to have burst in terms of the beginning of the season. Obviously, they started like a house on fire. Um, and it's kind of slowed down a little bit. And I don't want to say that Marcus Silva and Fulham need to be looking over their shoulder going into the latter but stages of the season. They do. But I can, when I see the way, the way they play and the way they can see goals and the way they go about their business, I can see that if they get an injury to Mitrovic and if they, they sustain injuries to other key players in their team, they could be struggles this season. Um, I think they need to get back onto a winning track as soon as possible if they, if they want to avoid being in the scrap for relegation towards the back end of the season. They'll be involved in the scrap. They'll be involved in the scrap. Yeah, they're four points away from the relegation zone right now. They're not playing particularly well. Um, I think, what is it? They've lost five of the last eight games. They've got Aston Villa at home, which is a good opportunity to put points on the board. They go to Leeds, difficult. They've got Everton after that. Then they've got City, United and Palace. Um, So City and United is before the World Cup, Palace when they come back. There's four fixtures towards the end of that run. The next few fixtures very difficult for Fulham. And if they're not putting points on the board during that period, I think they'll drop quite considerably. That'll be a bit of a worry, I think, for uh, Marco Silva. who did look a little bit rattled after the game as well. He was, you know, he was getting a little bit narky with the interviewers. Uh, Spurs 2, Everton 0. Um, Spurs, once again, not the most interesting. I spoke to uh, Match of the Day commentator Steve Wilson in the uh, press room at Old Trafford yesterday. And I said to him, what did you make of the, the Spurs game? Again, all right. You know, and that's what Spurs are. They're just all right, aren't they? I mean, look, they're they're brilliant in terms of the fact that they've they've, they've had their best ever start to a Premier League season, which is you know cracking in terms of points. But it doesn't feel like that when you sit there and watch them. I mean, they really are boring, aren't they? But this is what you get from Antonio Conte. You know, when Chelsea won the league under his management, was it? They weren't that boring. Football. 
I'm not sure it was. I, I think, listen. It's not as boring <laughs> as this. This is really boring. It's stereotyping, but he's Italian and uh, Italian managers tend to coach in a certain way. Um, well, he's admitted it himself. That is stereotyping. Said, I, I don't, my teams don't lose four or five or six. You know, it's probably a pop at Manchester United at the time. But uh, <laughs> he will grind out wins and it isn't going to be fantastic to watch. But I, I do wonder what Tottenham fans really want. You know, this is a team who've been starved of success. They've made well no impression in the football world in my lifetime. If they end up winning the Premier League title, but they do it in a dull way, are they really going to complain about the style of football? Come on. So let me ask you this question. Are you now are you now backtracking on the fact that you wanted Antonio Conte as the manager of Manchester United? No, I'm not at all, because uh, I want to see winning football. Yes, you, you, you want to see your, your team play with style if possible. But first and foremost, it's about getting results and winning games. And they're doing that. You've said it, best ever start to a Premier League season. Harry Kane's had a bit of stick. He scored in five successive Premier League games for the first time in his career. Hoybier has been brilliant in midfield, keeping Yves Basuma out the team. Defensively, they look organised. They, they look like Much a better. team who aren't going to give away many chances. I think it's madness that Spurs fans are moaning. But it isn't great to watch. Um, talk to me about the Kane-Pickford penalty incident, Kweku. Was it the right call? Because I must admit, I, I'm still not 100% sure on it. It was the right call. It was a bit soft, but it was the right call. I know that uh, maybe Kane went down a little bit too easy, but I, I thought it was just interesting that maybe a microcosm of what we might see at the World Cup just now. Pickford the goal and Kane, Kane taking the penalty and you want to see the striker put it away. Hopefully Kane won't be taking a penalty against Pickford at the World Cup because that would be very weird. Of course not. We're going to see Kane stepping up for penalties at the World Cup. We're going to see Pickford hopefully saving penalties. He came close to saving this Harry Kane penalty, got a fingertip to it. It was um, was well put away by Kane. He missed a penalty in midweek. And yeah, touching on what Crook said in terms of Tottenham, it's like they've done the deal with the devil, really. And if it if it if it comes or it earns some trophies, then then fair play. But in terms of objectively just watching Spurs play, it's enough to it's enough to put me to sleep. It's not it's not great football. And despite the fact that Antonio Conte maybe employed the similar types of football when he won the league with Chelsea, they were way more exciting than this Spurs yeah. side who are the most boring team to watch in the Premier League. And look, the other thing is, is that Crook always sort of like, you know, yeah, it's winning football, it's okay. But he hasn't actually done that many Tottenham games, right? <laughs> but when he starts doing Tottenham games, he's going to come on here and he's going to say, they're boring. And the reason they've dropped away from the title race is because they're boring. <laughs> I think one of the big problems they've got is, is that they don't take many games away from teams. So they're always on the precipice of actually throwing it away. Towards the end of that game, you've got to remember, it was 1-0 till the 86th minute. So it was a marginal victory. And the same in midweek, I was at the game against Eintracht Frankfurt. They got themselves, they went behind, and then they, they gave away a stupid goal. Then they got themselves 3-1 in front, and they thought they were cruising, took off all their best players, and then found themselves 3-2, had a chance to make it 4-2, and then missed that. And it was like crazy. It was, they don't make it easy for themselves either. So they're on the precipice all the time. It's never never too convincing. Even that Leicester game, which they won 6-2, they were the second best team in that match, 45 minutes. Remarkable as it may seem. So I, I don't know. I'm not wholly convinced just yet that it's all going to end with a, a trophy on the mantelpiece for Daniel Levy and for Antonio Conte. But look, they look a little bit more reliable than they have done for a, for a number of of years. Uh, Wolves won Forest nil. Um, oh dear. What's the most interesting thing about this game? Um, could Mick Bill leave Queen's Park Rangers and go to, to Wolverhampton Wanderers as Crook you broke yesterday? Is that possible? I think it's very possible. Um, I think the caretaker uh, management will stay in, in charge for their game in midweek. I think Wolves are labouring over this a little bit. Obviously, there's big interest from Nuno Espirito Santo that's being driven by George Mendes to come back to the football club. But I was told over the weekend it's more likely now that it will be a, a non-Mendes client who takes the job, which obviously would be a, a change of tact. I think they, they like the idea of uh, appointing a young, up-and-coming British head coach, which is why they spoke to Rob Edwards. I don't think he'll get the job. There are a couple of other uh, candidates still on the shortlist, but I think by beating Forrest, they've, they feel that there isn't such a dramatic rush. So I don't think much will change between now and the weekend. It's a gamble on Mick Beale, isn't it? He's only had 15 games as a frontline manager in the championship. He was Steven Gerrard's assistant, obviously. And I think Gerrard has struggled without him by his side. So I'd be intrigued to see how that works out. But again, this game, the, the decision-making, was it a penalty? The Wolves one? Which one? Was that handball? 
Well, the arm does come out from Toffolo. Yeah. So you're talking about the Wolves penalty. There was a couple of penalties in this game. Uh, the, the Wolves penalty is where Toffolo's arm just comes out slightly to his left-hand side. The first time I saw it, I thought that's not a penalty. It's too close. His arm's not that far away from his body. The second time I saw it, I thought, oh, actually, it does just... It was by his side and then it came out and then it connected with the ball. So maybe it is a penalty. Um, at the other definitely end... Definitely penalty. Definitely I think, penalty. Yeah, I think there was definitely a penalty at the other end as well, which was given... And taken, but I think that they had to give penalties in this game. Otherwise, no one was ever going to score. So it was almost like there was like a mercy penalty, wasn't it? It was like we've got to ensure that we create goal-scoring opportunities for them because they're that yeah. bad in front of goal. What, what about what about the um, the Nottingham Forest social media team almost golden wolves with a, a post about? It, very silly. Egg, on, silly egg on your face, especially when you're not doing very well. You've sat your head of recruitment. Things are not looking great. And then you go and go the team that beat you 1-0 in a drab game. Doesn't look great. Yeah, so they did put out a post before the match, didn't they? Which was a picture of one of their players surrounded by actual wolves and the words playtime over the top of it. Well, I don't really understand that. It didn't really. I mean, I, I get it. Was it who was the player that they put it uh, front and center of that? But anyway, they, it was cuddling the wolves like it was like I'm going to tame them. I'm not necessarily sure that was ever in the offing. No. Ever gamble really? Um, Leicester nil, Crystal Palace nil. I went to this game. And, uh, don't write me any letters of condolence, please. Um, oh God, it was so boring. It was so bad. That you know, afterwards, I was talking to uh, one of the commentators or one of the reporters from another radio station. Said to me, "Are oh, you full commentary today?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you, go, oh, you earned your money there. Um, it, at one stage, me and Stuart Pearce started talking about the last time that Leicester were this bad was 1983. Can we remember the hit songs of 1983? It was that bad. Um, <laughs> Rogers at one stage appeared to say that it was too hot. It's October. <laughs> if, and if it's too hot for James Madison in Leicester in October, what's it going to be like going to the World Cup in Qatar? It's probably not a good idea. Um, he also he also said to me afterwards, uh, it, it, we were talking for ages, right? Um, and he said, um, he kept saying that the owners might have to make a difficult decision. And I was like, are you trying to tell them that they, they should sack you? Is it a foregone conclusion that they're going to dismiss you? He's like, no, 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 no. But it was a very odd thing to say. I almost feel now as if it's like a little bit like, hold on a second. Is there any chance that someone could just put this situation out of its misery, make the change, and let's just move on? He clearly doesn't want to be there for whatever reason. He's fallen out with them. He hasn't had the investment. He doesn't think he's going to achieve what he wants to achieve. It's probably best that he just goes on and does something else and get somebody who's prepared to work with no money to shape what is a reasonably good squad of players. It's, a, it's not a bad squad of players. Into a into a good team. Well, it's interesting. You mentioned the Wolves situation, and I think one of the reasons that they've dragged their heels is because they had both Steve Cooper and Brendan Rogers on their list of potential appointments before that. Well, we called it El Sacico, um, that Leicester victory over Forest. Brendan Rogers stays in a job. Steve Cooper gets a new contract. It wouldn't surprise me if Leicester were to pull the trigger on Brendan Rogers if he is someone that Wolves do want to speak to, but. You're right. He doesn't want to be there anymore. I think he is very unhappy about the lack of investment in the summer. The squad is not equipped for him to do what he's done in previous seasons. And every game that passes, it looks worse on him. This is a manager who was touting himself for Manchester United not that long ago. He's miles off that now. Uh, Leicester host leads on Thursday. Um, will he be in a job if they lose that game, Quaker? It's tough. His job's made a lot tougher of the fact that James Madison's going to be missing. Um, it's a game that they do need to win. Um, I think he still will be in the job. It's so interesting because it does seem from the outside looking in like he is ready to go. Well, I don't know how expensive it will be to get rid of Brendan Rodgers. But lot. I feel like for both parties moving forward, the best thing is separation. Um so if they lose against Leeds, I think his job will be in jeopardy. But I don't know if the, the Leicester owners have got the facilities or the finances to actually sack Brendan Rodgers. So it, it's up in the air. It's an interesting situation. But despite the fact that they haven't made investments in the summer, maybe the squad's not as strong as Brendan Rodgers would have liked, 
there needs to be a better showing in that in that early kickoff against Crystal Palace. They've got too much quality to be to be putting out performances like that. I know Palace are a decent side and people have lauded the way they play football this season, but they're a team that struggle for results. And I feel that Leicester are in a position that they're in, mm. scrapping for points and results. That's a game that they should have won. Do you know what it's like very quickly before we move on? Uh, a friend of mine during lockdown was divorcing his wife, but due to financial... <laughs> Uh, demands. He couldn't afford to move out of the Merrill home. So basically, while they were going through quite a nasty divorce, they had to keep living under the same roof. It's a bit like Brendan Rogers and the Leicester owners at this moment <laughs> not, in time. Not sure it's exactly like that at all, actually. He seems to be quite happy afterwards. He, he certainly, there was no animosity there. He was just like, you know, I'd rather just not be here. Thank you very much. Not, not sure it's anything like that at all. Um, but then again, I don't know your personal situation there. Was that your personal situation or was it, was it, was it really a friend? No, it was just a friend. Yeah. I've got a friend. Yeah. One of those. Um, uh, I, Leicester should have won the game. They had the better chances in the match, didn't take them. Uh, we haven't talked about the, uh, the worst thing that happened in that game, which was James Madison's dive which was absolutely desperate. It was ludicrous. And he's booked now, so he doesn't play in the game. And he has been their best player over the course of the season so far. But let's just quickly talk about Brentford against Brighton. It was so long ago now, it's almost irrelevant, but um, not if you're a Brentford fan, probably not if you're a Brighton fan, and certainly not if you're Ivan Tony, because he scored two goals that will increase the noise surrounding a, a potential call-up for the World Cup squad. I remember when he scored a penalty in the playoff final many moons ago, Thomas Frank said to me on the side of the Wembley pitch, he is the best penalty taker in the world. Now, obviously, at the time, although I was impressed with his penalty taking because he'd done very well in the championship, I was a bit like, all right, okay, let's not go over the top. Two and a half years later, is he the best penalty taker in the world, Crook? I think he probably is. Um, and he reminds me a bit of uh, Matt Letizier when he was at his pomp. You just knew that when Southampton won a penalty, Matt Letizier wasn't going to miss. I think he did miss one out of about 50 in his entire career. And it's the same with Ivan Tony. I was watching the game with my sons. As soon as they got a penalty, I said, Tony's in your fantasy team. Here's your first points of the weekend because he just does not miss penalties. He has an incredible confidence and he makes it very difficult for the goalkeeper. It was a strange game, this one. I mean, typical Brighton game in many ways uh, because they dominated possession. They had decent openings but they don't have a goal scorer. And if they really want to kick on to the next level, at some point, Tony Bloom, who's been a fantastic owner, is going to have to bite the bullet and he's going to have to pay serious money for a number nine. If you put Skamaka in that Brighton team, for example, you're looking at European candidates. Mm. Um, apparently, Ivan Tony thinks about uh, having a cocktail on the beach before addressing his penalties. This is his secret to success. Um, I, what cocktail do you think he's thinking of, Kweku? Um, a strawberry daiquiri. I think. I think. I think he's got a sweet daiquiri. tooth. Yeah, 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 yeah. Red snapper, maybe. <laughs> maybe possible. The sex um, on the beach. What's your, what's your cocktail of choice? Maybe sex on the beach. Yeah. <laughs> he got me in trouble once in an interview after suggesting something very similar. Um, <laughs> <laughs> at which point I was starting to dump. Dump. Oh no, we can't dump it. It's live. Um, yeah. Um, my my cocktail choice, old fashioned every time. A maple syrup old fashioned sometimes goes down very, very well. Yeah. Crook, cocktail of choice? Uh, anything with rum in it, really. <laughs> uh, obviously very well uh, uh, travelled in terms of cocktail bars in uh, the greater Chichester area. Um, <laughs> right, where are you going this week? Uh, what, what games are you going to this week, Alex? Well, by the time this podcast is live, I'll be at the Valley uh, for Charlton against Pompey. Scott Minto has uh, sorted me out some nice tickets for that one. I'm at Brighton Forest on Tuesday. Big game for the home side. Need to win that. And then the South Coast Showdown. It's not a derby, but it is a big game for Southampton. They're at Bournemouth on Wednesday night. Kweku, where are you at? Um... Today, later on today, I'm going to the Raheem Sterling Foundation, do some work with the kids down there. Um, and then on Thursday, I'm at Stanford Bridge doing some some content stuff for Chelsea. So, I'm, yeah, here, there, okay. and everywhere. Uh, enjoy it. Um, I'll be going to Manchester United, Newcastle on Wednesday night. The show comes from there. Uh, Round the Grounds Tuesday and Wednesday night on Talk Sport. Our next live game is Saturday, Nottingham Forest against Liverpool. We'll have a preview to that on the Thursday stroke Friday podcast. We think that will come out on Friday morning this week because... 
Of course, there's games right the way up till Thursday night. Thank you for watching, for listening, for downloading. Make sure you tell all your friends about the Game Day podcast uh, from TalkSport. Well, you'll get a crook prediction and a retraction all in the same 45 minutes. <laughs> Make sure you join us Thursday. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Hold that, please. Level five, thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi, nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to Ertzen the Bypassal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to Ertzen the Channelized Bingbingus at the Bypassal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how.